those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome, everybody. This is Room Tone, the radio show. We talk movies because we love it. We bring the film community to your ears and today, woo, today we're so lucky to have a film reporter from the Georgia Strait. Everybody raise your hands for Greg Takeuchi. How are you doing, Craig? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> pleasure to have you over here. All right. I say we just get right into it. First of all, first of all, first things first. What's your story, Craig? My story? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a staff writer at the Georgia Strait. Um, I'm an instructor at Langara College uh, in creative writing, and I'm actually a UBC grad. Um, I did a general BA in film studies and art history, and then I uh, did an MFA in creative writing. That's awesome right there. Shout out to UBC, where we're actually here on CIDR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Ancillary Masculum Land. And here we are uh, about to explore uh, a little bit the, 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 some of the pivotal aspects of storytelling and filmmaking and we go back to you know as a journalist yourself when it comes to communication outside of this of the theater uh you know that's pretty much that's pretty much the core of of communication when it comes to uh you know informing the community of what's going on and what's happening mm. and uh, i want to ask you as a as a journalist and reporter yourself what do you think is one of the biggest challenges right now in 2018 um I would say the fact that we're competing against the entire world for, <laughs> for uh, audiences. Um, because when I started, uh, we were focused on a weekly print edition. And I saw the shift go from that one weekly edition towards trying to get content online every few days, then every day. And now it's by, by the minute, almost by the second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that shift has really uh, accelerated the pace that we're working at, and uh, that creates a ton of challenges. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, definitely, it goes along with uh, with the evolution, you know, the, 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 mm. the you know the uh, virtual era right now. But um, we need to adapt. We yeah. need to adapt with what's happening. And mm. uh, how do you feel, especially in the realm of, of filmmaking? How do you feel the community has? evolved on how has it changed the flow of information how has that flow of information changed in the context of filmmaking uh i would say now with the internet obviously it's easier for filmmakers to upload content in a variety of different ways whereas before i was much more restricted um in terms of distribution channels like you can now upload stuff to YouTube, um, you know, from your iPhone or um, there's a lot more do-it-yourself stuff that uh, can get your stuff out there through social media, um, uh, stuff like that, which I think is much more beneficial in terms of when it comes to 
the subject that we'll probably talk about later is diversity mm-hmm. um, and, and getting diverse voices out there. Yeah, let's let's get into that right now <laughs> as well. We just mentioned that. Why not? Because that's actually how how we met in the first place. We were mm. at a conference of diversity in filmmaking, and I was I was struck by the the communicative skills that that Craig had, and the way he was talking was very very interesting to me. So uh, uh, that's how we met, and he was talking about diversity mm. and the representation of diversity in 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 general communication today, especially of course filmmaking and we as filmmakers storytellers we have to keep an eye on that always what's your take on on today's representation of diversity uh well there are a lot of aspects to it um i think that there has been quite a bit of progress made i mean i've been covering um specifically the topic of representation of asian men in film and tv for over the past possibly 20 years um, it's what I actually started my writing career with and unfortunately it has been quite slow particularly in certain areas such as the representation of Asian men in uh, as a romantic lead mm. uh, paired with a white woman that's rarely okay. still rarely seen but there has been um, progress in other areas um, there's, there are a lot more Asian North American uh, TV series out there than there were ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been some sort of backtreading here and there. But in general, I think there has been um, a general growth overall. Mm-hmm. But there's still, still a long ways to go, I think. Mm-hmm. How do you think we could Im- improve, you know, as a, as a community, as filmmakers? How could, we, how could we actually raise the voice of the... Uh, of of un- unrepresented communities, I would say uh, that's also a big, big issue right now. Many of the voices out there are not being represented. Hmm. It's a very complex issue. I don't think there's one answer. Um, I think there's a variety of different things that people could do. Um, I think it's one of the ways to do it is to think outside the box, to think outside your own experience, to think how diverse characters can actually add to your story Mm. can actually add fresh elements particularly when it comes to the idea of trying to find something that will attract attention in a new and fresh way Mm -hmm. I think the examples of Black Panther and Wonder Woman which I might cite frequently Mm -hmm. um, are examples of how you can freshen and enliven a genre that has become a little bit repetitive and tired Mm. um, particularly in the era where we are flooded with remakes, reboots. Um, we're, we're seeing the con- uh, constant rehashing of the same material over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, one way to do that is to turn to diversity because I think diversity offers the opportunity to, to create fresh stories that we haven't heard before and connect with audiences who have not been connected with before. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about superhero movies? Um, well, I think what is both uh, encouraging and yet troubling at the same time is the fact that, for instance, with Wonder Woman, she had a TV series back, I believe it was in the 70s or 80s, which made her a household name, and yet it's taken this long for the big screen version to Mm. hit the theaters. And during that period, we had seen so many remakes of Superman, Batman, Mm Spider-Man, still to this day. Um... And there had been a few female superhero movies, but they hadn't done that w- quite 
they hadn't done very, or they bombed actually. Like mm-hmm. Catwoman, Elektra didn't do very well. But I think one of the problems was actually that those films were directed by men, and I, when I watched mm-hmm. them, I felt like they weren't sure how to handle those characters. Oh, interesting. I feel like they were kind of uncertain. Who exactly they were appealing to? Like it was like they're trying to reach the male fanboy audience, <laughs> and yet trying to balance it with a female um, audience. Whereas I feel like with uh, Wonder Woman, which was directed by Patty Jenkins, I felt she was just trying to tell the story of this character, not whether it was male or female or who she was trying to reach. It was just trying to tell a really strong story, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it was so successful. It just presented Wonder Woman as a character. Um, yeah. The purity of the story is forgotten sometimes, huh? That's when that's when ugh, we get lost in the technique yeah. of things, and that's uh, and that's a pity. I mean, uh, we got to remind ourselves of the why we tell the story, and the character is is the center. It underpins the whole story, and as you said, mm. focusing on that definitely boosts the story, but even better, makes it makes it just simply makes it deeper, makes mm. it more appealing, makes it makes it an actual story rather than just a following of events. Mm. Is there a a movie or in specific that comes to your mind that has done that successfully apart from what you just mentioned maybe across your whole life what movie you think has done that the most successfully uh sorry what do you mean in terms of a well like in a terms in terms driven? of character yeah character building i'm just curious i'm just asking questions just to to get to know a little bit more about each other and um in case there is a movie that you think has done its its job very well when it comes to character building and even the exploration of diversity through the character. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there are quite a number of really great character-driven films. And any examples that I would turn to would be more in the art house uh, genre or mm-hmm. area or European films um, or Asian art house films. Um, but in terms of... Uh, well, if you don't, yeah. uh, if it doesn't pop in your mind, you can yeah. just say like, "Oh, I don't have one in mind. No yeah. problem. No problem. No, yeah. There is no invisible wall over here. It's yeah. just very, very. Uh, we flow. We flow just like water. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting to um, to hear this because we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this. There is no more time to waste. We have to tackle these issues now. This is the time. And uh, I was very happy to hear those words from you even at the conference and even right now mm. you know knowing that there are people that care about this and uh, we can't we can't close an eye on it and uh, you as well as an as an instructor you know how do you see the students nowadays where do you where do you see them going um well i teach creative writing mm-hmm. um in, in as uh in the continuing studies uh department um at langara and um in terms of oh, in ter- you're talking about in terms of where they will go in, as a career or yeah, students students somehow are uh, a projection of the future right and uh, I'm wondering what you see in them and how you you think they can uh, through creative writing they can change or raise raise the bar even in in the in the context of diversity mm. I would say that in terms of the the stories that students are writing um, I think there's a broader range now mm-hmm. um, that students feel much more comfortable in terms of writing stories that are say LGBT um, about 
their experiences as uh, an ethnic minority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot more encouragement for that and a lot more support. Um, but I think in terms of writing, there has always been interest in that area um, because I feel that readers are interested in learning about um, other people's experiences. And I think that's very different from movies in terms of entertainment, which is different from cinema. Mm-hmm. Hollywood movies are entertainment and it's those are, fil- those are um, works in which people want to escape. They don't necessarily want to be confronted and I wouldn't say they necessarily want to learn. I would say that um, they want to escape their own troubles, they want to escape their own life, mm-hmm. um, which is different from cinema, uh, which teaches about life. Or actually, you mentioned a re- you had a really good way of putting it earlier. There is there is something about movies and cinema. Yeah, cinema is, and movies, as you said, are very different, right? And mm. movies uh, are definitely can be seen as an es- is a sort of escapism, you know, yeah. escaping from life. But cinema is an exploration of life, yeah, that's you know. <laughs> and I think I think that's very true, you know, because education lives in stories, and movies are stories that have maximum potential, you know. Mm. So when looking at what cinema can do for our society mm. on a bigger scale, you know, I, I I get extremely excited, and I I'm very optimistic that the generations that are rising right now are willing to learn and are willing to explore and utilize this medium for the best and for the better of the community and the society. Yeah, and actually that is um, something that also concerns me in terms uh, more to do with Hollywood and the insidious nature of entertainment because when you're consuming entertainment, you're not thinking critically uh, necessarily. Mm. You're uh, absorbing a lot of... um, embedded values uh, unconsciously and not thinking about it critically whereas when you're watching cinema it's it's like going to uh, an art gallery where you're automatically um, looking at something in a sort of critical or experiential way Um, with movies um, you can sometimes absorb a lot without realizing it and particularly with the domination of Hollywood and the colonization of um, international markets, that's problematic because that is spreading American values throughout the world uh, and influencing the world through that sort of subconscious absorption and absorbing it uncritically. I love it. Give me a high five in the booth, Craig. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that was a beautiful breakdown right there. Very precise, very neat. And yeah, there are many values that are embedded in, in, in the movies that we watch and sometimes they just become part of us we, and we don't even notice mm. you know that's that we are made of stories human beings are a walking story you know the way some people walk is art you mm. know we are art living art that breathes and we absorb everything that comes through us you know mm. that we like it or not and that's what's happening with movies yeah is there an example or something specific you would like to talk about or point at when it comes to do you know absorbing values um in the past years? Well, I think there are a number of examples um, in terms of problematic films, um, in terms of representation of diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think there's a lot of progress in that area too. Like for instance, um, traditionally LGBT characters were always represented as either the villain, um, the they ended up dying. Mm. Um, and when you absorb that, 
either as an LGBT person or as a non-LGBT person, it gives you a very pessimistic and negative view of LGBT people. Um, whereas now, the integration of LGBT characters uh, into the mainstream really helps to counter some of those uh, negative stereotypes, um, negative values, or perceptions um, that continue to be a problem today. And that goes with th- with any minority character, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. Thank you for saying that. That is gold, you know? When uh, filmmakers, directors, writers, producers, there is, a, there is a responsibility because every character is represents an ideal, represents... Uh, uh, a collective of identities in in society mm-hmm. and there is nothing more precious than that you mm-hmm. know it needs to be taken care of just like a little baby was just born mm-hmm. and uh, we need to make sure that whatever we put into that script or into that story serves somehow in a, in a positive mm-hmm. uh, s- sense and in a positive way to the values we can't forget about the values actually there is also a mental health component to that because what people don't realize is that when they're watching these films they're subconsciously absorbing things that shape their own self-image mm-hmm. um, I had once interviewed a First Nations uh, man unfortunately I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head mm-hmm. but it was to do with film and it was to, to do with the representations of Indigenous and First Nations people in film and he said growing up he had always watched cowboys and Indian films mm-hmm. and the, the native or First Nations characters always died at the end mm-hmm. and he grew up with his subconscious idea that he would be he would have to die at a certain age because he had watched them at such a young age that was embedded in him and I think sometimes people don't realize um, and filmmakers may not realize the impact of of um, what they're doing in terms of representation they may not think oh you know it's not a big deal it's just a story it's just fiction but unfortunately when that's all you see when that's the totality of what's being reflected back to you uh, that has a huge impact on your psyche um, that goes in terms of um, the high rates of uh, mental health issues and suicide um, amongst LGBT people um, it also has a great impact in terms of um, ethnic minorities, whether you're black, Asian, um, Latino, um, all of those things have an impact on, on in terms of mental health. They do that. Thank you for saying that. These are these are very important things. I really, you know, I, I feel, you know, woo! I feel <laughs> the fire within because these things, we got to talk about these, you know, we got to let them out. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's such a such a pleasure to have you here, Craig. And uh, now I think it's about time to take a little break. And I actually want to talk about the soundtrack that, that you chose. And you chose the soundtrack of Pina, the beautiful documentary about dance. And I want to ask you, why, uh, why did that soundtrack come through your mind? Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, right now? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's do oh, it. Let's do it. Um, well, it's a beautiful documentary. It's uh, um, it was a 3D documentary, which is rare, mm-hmm. um, all about dance, and I love dance. Uh, and it's rare to see a film um, all, like uh, uh, such a big budget production um, all about dance. But also, part of the reason why I suggested the soundtrack is that it's very varied. Um, there's quite a range. Um, there's ver- a lot of introspective, moody. Um, mm-hmm reflective tracks a lot of intimate tracks as well as there's some jazzy upbeat Mm -hmm. um flirtatious tracks so i thought it might give you a variety uh, to play yeah the the documentary is one of my favorite documentaries it's definitely very very powerful and it reaches in all sorts of directions and i think that 
it actually fits so well with with today's episode because there's such a variety and a strong strong you know it reaches in every direction in every sense and uh, when i think about pin i think about diversity you know because the dancers so many different dancers with so many different voices you know that of course they express through dance and today actually right now uh, i want to go to this very very interesting upbeat song that it comes from one specific dance that really struck me in the movie mm. which is uh, such a simple dance but still not not easy to perform at all and it's just performed with the hands mm. of this character and uh, this is actually a song i i i found it to be a very 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 cool song very very whoo very uh, it's got its own flow but this is uh, from uh, Caetano Veloso mm. from a very very powerful uh, dance uh, in the movie Pina enjoy this is Leonzinho Gosto muito de te ver Leonzinho Caminhando sob o sol Gosto muito de você Leonzinho Para desentristecer, leãozinho, o meu coração tão só Basta eu encontrar você no caminho Um filhote de leão, um raio da manhã Toda cor Quando ele lhe doura a pele Ao Léo Gosto de te ver ao sol, leãozinho De te ver entrar no mar Tua pele, tua luz, tua juba Gosto de ficar ao sol, leãozinho De molhar minha juba De estar perto de você e entrar no mar Gosto muito de te ver, leãozinho Caminhando sob o sol Gosto muito de você, leãozinho Desentristecer, leãozinho O meu coração tão só Basta eu encontrar você no caminho Um filhote de leão, raio da manhã Toda cor Quando ele lhe doura a pele Ao Léo Gosto de te ver ao sol, leãozinho De te ver entrar no mar Tua pele, tua luz, tua juba Gosto de ficar ao sol, leãozinho De molhar minha juba De estar perto de você e entrar no mar 
Welcome back, everybody. This is your Room Tone, the radio show. We talk movies because we love it. And today we're joined by Craig Takeuchi from the Georgia Strait, film, film reporter and instructor, talking about diversity on a beautiful sunny day here in Vancouver. How beautiful is Vancouver? Wow. Okay, Craig, let's get right into it. Again, back again into diversity because uh, it's something we have to talk about right now. Mm. And we can't really ignore, mm. you know? Yeah, definitely. We have to absolutely get into um, into it all the way through, dive into it, head dive into it. And that's why I want to ask you, how do you see the representation of diversity in 10 years? Mm. I would say it's, it's a little bit tough to say. Um, because in terms of what I've seen over the past two or so decades, progress is incredibly slow. Um but I have noticed that we seem to be at a bit of a turning point, or there have been a few pivotal moments over the past one or two years. Um, mm. And so that gives me a lot of hope for the future. And I, I would say, I, I'm not sure where we'll be in 10 years, but my hope is that there will be a significant um, um, upturn or um, that perhaps we're on a, a, like an accelerated curve that maybe things have gone slow in the past, but maybe we'll, we'll um, increase in the number of representations Absolutely. Of, of minority characters in the future. Absolutely. I think there are a couple of examples out there right now as well, right? Hmm. Um, I guess the most recent one and the one that's sort of semi-breaking news um, <laughs> is Scarlett Johansson withdrawing uh, from the film Rub and Tug, in which she was originally going to play a transgender uh, character. Um, there was a lot of protest on social media. Um, there was a lot of concern expressed about it. And she had initially defended herself and the role. Um, but she changed her mind and she relented and she apologized, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, and it's also interesting in the fact that there have been cisgender or people who are born um, identifying with the biological um, um, gender that they're, or that they're, mm-hmm. uh, ident- or sorry, sorry, I'm not explaining it well. Yeah, yeah, no, but no, no. As opposed to transgender people. Um, in the past, there have been cisgender actors who have been cast in transgender roles, like Jared Leto um, in Dallas Buyers Club, for which you won an Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, Felicity Huffman in Trans America, who won a Golden Globe. Um, but they didn't. Um, they didn't um, relinquish those roles. Um, whereas now, I think there's a lot more vocal support or um, for transgender actors. Because uh, what I should explain, that if some people don't understand, is that the problem with casting a, a, an actor who is not of that uh, minority character's um, background is that, for instance, a character like, or sorry, an actor like Scarlett Johansson, she can play a lot of different roles. She can play like a, a white female lead character. She's been cast, <laughs> strangely, um, in Ghost in the Shell, which was originally a Japanese character. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a transgender char- actor may not be cast in some of those roles. They may be limited to only transgender roles. And for somebody who has the privilege and ability to play a diverse range, like Scarlett Johansson, is taking away the opportunity from a transgender actor. It's Mm -hmm. the same with um, 
any other roles. For instance, a white straight male actor uh, playing a gay role, which ha has happened a lot in the past. Um, everybody from um, Tom Hanks to um, the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Heath Ledger in Brokeback Mountain. That's taking away opportunities from gay male actors who may not be cast as a straight romantic lead because they're perceived as gay. Ah, look at that, eh? Yeah. That's definitely, whoo, that's very stingy right there. I, I, I uh, def that's definitely something to talk about. Well, there are many, I feel that, of course, there are so many variables. There's so much that happens around it and it's, it's, that's why it's so hard to talk about it, you mm, know? Yeah. And, um, probably the people that get down to make that decision is probably one or two right mm. maybe three yeah you know and but still that decision is then channeled on a, such a bigger scale right mm. and uh, the consequences are bigger than just making that one choice from that one or two people to one person two people three people well actually um when I was at the uh, Vancouver Asian Film Festival panel discussion about diversity there was uh -huh. a person in the audience who asked um you know, is is there a way to cast actors who are not of a certain ethnicity in a role um, that might be different? Um, and I realize now, like, it does happen. Um, even in Asian films, sometimes there will be a Japanese actor playing a Chinese role um, or vice versa. But I think the difference is, is that when it's a production, film production within that culture and there are people immersed within that culture who understand the nuances of casting somebody um, who is from a different culture or, or ethnicity. They understand the sensitivities and they understand how that character or actor will be read as. Mm. Whereas it's different in Hollywood where the casting director may not be sensitive to those nuances or differences or understand the, the political consequences of what they're doing. And so because, of, because they're not the, uh, immersed in that culture or they're from outside that culture, they may be doing it quite ignorantly uh, if they don't have a consultant, if they don't um, properly research that issue. Um, for instance, if they cast, for instance, uh, like a Korean actor as a Japanese actor, to uh, the mass audience in, in North America, they may think, oh, you know, there's no problem, he looks Asian. But mm. to people from that culture, they will be able to see differences in their look, their body language, their speech patterns. Um, a lot of those things are, that are very significant and would be read as inauthentic. Um, and unfortunately, if you don't know those differences, then you'll just gloss them over. Absolutely. You know, that really resonates because and I think it resonates with so many people out there because, you know, uh, even personally, I'm from Italy, right? And mm. there are some movies that just, they, they say, oh, you're Italian, and then la la la, and then they move the head. It's true, we, 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 we do that stuff, but you know, like the way we speak, there is a whole, there are so many dialects in the country, there is so much to it, and sometimes the representation is, is superficial, right? And same thing that can be applied to any culture out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that, as you said, there is a sense of research that needs to be nurtured, you know? We need to be researching more and more because things are growing constantly, and we can't just let them slip by like that, you know? Mm -hmm. there, there are identities at stake.
Mm. And you know, identity is 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 you know that's a great great uh, question actually that I've always asked myself. And how would you define identity? Mm. How would I define? How would you define? Yeah, the concept of identity. Oh, uh, that's a huge question. It's a huge question, eh? It's tough. Eh? I don't know if you can. Um, well, it really depends because identity can be uh, very personal um, in terms of um, what you identify with. Um, because I know some people who are of mixed heritage who don't really acknowledge certain parts of their um, ethnic heritage. They don't see themselves. Like, for instance, um, I know a few Japanese Canadian um, people who don't necessarily identify themselves as Japanese Canadian. They just mm -hmm. see themselves as um, Canadians. Um, but that can also depend upon so many factors. It can depend upon where they grew up in. For instance, if they grew up in a rural area where they're predominantly surrounded by Caucasian people and they felt the need to blend in because they didn't want to feel different from everybody else. Um, it could depend upon their relationships with their parents mm. or grandparents, whether or not they were exposed at a young age to their heritage, stuff like that. So it's very complicated, I think. It um, is. It is probably, it is very complicated because it might be a balance, you know, between, it's a duality, right? Mm. Something more internal and something more external. And what I mean with, with that is there is an internal, an internal realm and reality of identity and, and how someone, you know, perceives him or herself but at the same time there is something that bounces back from the outside you know because then society is a mirror as well right mm. and you know we 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 are able to look at ourselves through somebody else mm -hmm. you know and it's a balance between that process of looking on the outside and diving in the inside and that's why it's such a delicate topic again because balance is is never steady you can never just you know, take a picture of it and, and there it is, you mm. know, it's a constant flow and it's it's actually the only thing that, that never perpetuates, that never stands still is change and that identity is change, is a constant flow, it's just like, it's a constant flow and we can't, we can't control it sometimes, sometimes identity controls ourselves, but ah, that's a longer topic, let's not get lost in there, but uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a big topic, we have to talk about these things, you know, mm. and especially because identity and and uh, you know when you identify with a movie that is also identity you know is there a movie you specifically identify with maybe that gave you something in your life and and gave you an additional part of yourself <laughs> i say no is that a problem <laughs> no 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 you can say no that's not a problem not at all not at all not at all um i don't know if there are movies that i necessarily identify with there are movies that are I was inspired by or that I greatly admire um, but I can't say there is a film that I necessarily identify with okay okay interesting yeah, yeah it's a it's a it's a very again it's a personal topic you know mm. there's there there is an infinite number of answers to these questions and that's why we ask these questions you know we're here to explore that infinite those infinite possibilities you know that's the beauty of it right mm. And cinema is infinite as well because, again, the the the, the possibilities of and the, the the different branches of communication they just end up in so many different directions. Hmm. And I think that when we have such a broad 
world ahead of us going always back to the same patterns and the same stereotypes maybe can be limiting mm. well, going back to what we're talking about earlier in terms of how diversity can create fresh material um, by presenting um, new aspects to a story I think there have been a re- lot of really interesting examples recently um, to do with deafness or uh, deaf characters um, and the use of sign language um, which um, hasn't been consistently represented in film and I think there's been a lot of progress made recently mm-hmm. um, because if you think about it um, it was back in the 80s I think it was 1986 when Marley Matlin won the best actress Oscar for um, it was the f- what was the film it was a uh, Sorry, I just have to... Uh, yeah, yeah, make remember. it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Sorry, Children of a Lesser God. Okay. That was way back in 1986, and she's the only one who ever... Uh, the only deaf performer who won that category. Um, since then, most recently, um, in the past year, there have been um, two, three, two or three movies that have significantly used um, American Sign Language as an integrated part of the story. Um, one of the most interesting examples was uh, A Quiet Place, a horror movie, which was about a family trying to survive um, this invasion by these strange creatures. <laughs> and it was quite interesting because they had to be quiet in order to avoid uh, being tracked down by these monsters. Mm. And so the whole family used American Sign Language because actually one of the characters the daughter she was deaf oh okay and it was played by a deaf actress uh millicent simmons i Mm -hmm. believe and um that was a way in which uh american sign language was actually integrated into the story it wasn't just a token character or anything like that and then another example was the shape of water um in which the main character she wasn't deaf but she was mute uh she couldn't speak and she used sign language to communicate. And But if you want to see actually a, a, an even better example that I think that was riffing off of uh, was the 1990s film, I think it was 1993, Jane Campion's The Piano, um, in which the lead character was a very strong-willed female character who was mute but used sign language to communicate. And her daughter, played by Anna Paquin, um, spoke for her. Um, wow. Yeah. The, these uh, these stories tap into very 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 particular uh, places and for I mean for example in the shape of water I, I feel that one of the, the scene when she communicated with Sanders that was one of the most powerful scenes hmm. extremely moving you know like especially with the subtitles and what she was saying you know it was ext- extremely powerful and it, it, oh, well especially with uh, film being a fi- visual medium sign language um you know, to express yourself uh, is it adds to the visual element of the film, and it creates a you know a distinct image uh, for the fil- the movie goer. Yeah, well said, right there. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it's uh, it's definitely a moment of transition, and so many things are happening. But when we remind ourselves of of what truly matters and how how that can, and when that is translated and communicated. In alternative ways, hmm. oh, that that really taps deep, you know. And uh, when, when those alternative ways will not be al- alternative anymore, hmm. then that's probably when we will have reached a stage of, I wouldn't call it 
enlightenment it's a big word but a stage of success for 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 our community for our society and i think also when there are diverse characters introduced um whether it's deaf disability ethnic minorities it helps um viewers think about experiences that are different from their own and that creates uh an interesting element um for the moviegoer and to freshen up um, content so we're not seeing the same things over and over mm-hmm. again. we're not s- constantly seeing the white straight male experience we're seeing a variety of experiences that actually add to the storytelling um, mm-hmm. and tell the story in a new way mm-hmm. absolutely yeah that's uh, wonderful right there you know what uh, talking about something new something particular something woo, something a little special we're actually gonna get go to the next song from the soundtrack of Pina and this is uh, the way the way Craig described it to me with mood and intimate and it is it is definitely like that and if you allow it it will take you very far it's a very very special song and uh, if you're listening out there just take your time to dream a little bit close your eyes you know get into this alternate world that this song is about to take you and uh, I'll catch you up uh, right after the little break to wrap it up with Craig. So everybody enjoy. This is the soundtrack of Pina. It's called Memoir du Futur.
Wow, Craig, how do you feel about it? Woo, that was special, eh? Mm, where, yeah. where are you right now? Where did it take you? The song always makes me think of a duet, an intimate duet between two dancers who are expressing like a tentative uh, flirtation or sort of dancing around each other very carefully. Mm-hmm. Definitely the intimacy. It, it's almost, it almost feels like a witch trying to charm you in mm, a way. Mm, such, yeah. a, ooh, such a taste, you know, and yeah. those instruments sometimes picking it up. It's almost like, again, it's a balance. It's a flow, right? Mm. A little bit over here. Ooh, a little bit over there. Ooh, oh, <laughs> ah, ooh, the little note over there. Ah, you know, it's a, yeah, what a, what a song right there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I guess it's time to get into the one minute pitching. Oh, <laughs> Are you ready for that? <laughs> okay. Woo-hoo. Craig has an amazing idea today. He's pitching something a little bit different, but it's so special. Are you ready? You you let me know when you're ready. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna make that clock happen. You ready? Yeah. All right. The clock is going. Okay. So my pitch is a bit of a challenge. I would like to challenge um, anyone out there to organize an effort to raise funds for a Canadian-only movie theater in Vancouver. Um, what's really unfortunate is that. It is very difficult for Canadian films to get on our own screens, which is a really sad commentary. Um, unfortunately, Canadian films have to compete against Hollywood films, which have hugely um, massive budgets compared to Canadian films. And that's really unfair um, for our own Canadian film industry. So to have a theater devoted strictly to screening Canadian films would help our domestic industry so much. It would provide jobs for for, uh, our domestic industry and um, allow our own talent to be seen and not constantly have to go to the U.S., Awesome, right on, and that's the that's the watch right there. So that's pretty good timing right there, and that's an amazing idea. That's an amazing idea. I think I don't know why nobody has thought about that earlier. You know, like uh, it's. Um, well, I think people have. It's just the difficulty of actually getting it done mm. and finding the funding for it, which is actually the biggest challenge for sure. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a challenge. But if it wasn't a challenge, then where where would that beauty be, right? You yeah. need that challenge sometimes. And uh, whoo, I think it's time to get into the Proust questionnaire. We oh. got yeah, <laughs> we're gonna pick five questions of those thirty-five questions uh, from Proust. Proust wrote down thirty-five questions, believing that they would help us. Uh, forge or spot someone's true identity. So talking about identity, there we go again. But let me start and go because as a journalist yourself, I need to ask you, who are your favorite writers? Um, I would say not so much as a journalist, but as a as a creative writer or mm-hmm. um, writer of fiction. Um, I would say my favorite authors are uh, Arundhati Roy, the Indian writer who wrote The God of Small Things. Mm-hmm. Um as well as I, I would say one of my m- top uh, writers would be Marguerite Dura, uh, the French writer. Uh, she wrote um, The Lover, which was turned into a movie. But uh, she also wrote a number of other novels. Um, I would say those are my two top ones. Um, there are a number of Japanese writers who I like a few of the short stories. One is The Catch by Kenzaburo Oe. Um, and I also re- highly admire the the personal essay um, by Junichiro Tanazaki. Um, <laughs> wow, these are so many names. Like you, We better write them down and make some research up in here. Woo-hoo, look at that. 
Is there is there a specific type of, of, of reading that you do? Is there a specific a, a genre specifically when you when you look for books that you look out for? Um, not necessarily. Um, it really it really depends. Um, I was, the most recent book I read was um, a memoir, nonfiction, um, called "Educated" by Tara Westover, mm-hmm. which is about um, a woman who was raised within a cult in. Um, in uh, I think it was Montana, oh, wow. or it was it was it was in a rural area um, in the Midwest, and she was homeschooled, um, not very well, and she was deprived of medical help because uh, her parents were extremists. Uh, sorry, uh, I think they were Mormon fundamentalists mm-hmm. or very wow. extreme religious um, believers, and she turned to education to escape that and she eventually acquired a PhD okay which was incredible it was an incredible story I, I highly recommend it wow interesting all right yeah. Woo. and that leads us to the second question of the Proust question we're gonna uh, increase the speed a little okay. bit we're gonna increase the pace a little bit and which living person do you most admire I would say there are quite a few but one of them is the artist Andy Goldsworthy mm-hmm. a British artist who uses natural materials to um, create installations in nature and so he's not introducing anything foreign he's just rearranging nature and turning them into these amazing shapes and sculptures and stuff like that wonderful all right Woo. let's moonwalk to the third question of the Proust questionnaire what is your current state of mind uh I would say fragmented. <laughs> I've got I've got too many thoughts racing through my head okay. right now. <laughs> awesome, right there. Woo! Fourth question of the Proust questionnaire: What is your greatest fear? Um, I would say locally um, that the city continues to overdevelop and uh, um, redevelop at the expense of culture. Hmm. Woo! And last question of the Proust questionnaire. What is your idea of perfect happiness? I would say playing with kittens and the smell of fresh laundry. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Woo. Oh, wow. Awesome. Uh, that wraps up the Proust questionnaire. And to wrap it up, I want to ask you if you have any shout outs to do. And what's your advice for storytellers out there? Um. I would say f- advice for storytellers. Uh, one of the toughest things is detaching yourself from your work um, so that you can edit it or receive feedback about it and not take any criticism personally. That is a really tough thing to do. Um, but uh, it's something that can really help with your writing. Um, shout outs. I haven't really thought about it. At- mm-hmm, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. nothing comes to the top of my head. But No worries. Yeah. If uh, I guess uh, that's a great piece of advice, the detachment to it. Uh, to the art is definitely something not easy to do, but uh, once you're able to do it, woo! So mm. much posi- so much positive comes out of it, right? Mm, yeah. Now, to wrap it up, of course, it's soundtrack of Pina. Mm. Uh, uh, launch it, launch it, Craig. Okay. Launch us through the song of the uh, to the final song of the show. Make it happen, Craig. Are you ready? Yeah. So this is Lilies of the Valley by June Miyake. Awesome. See you next Monday, guys. Ciao, ciao. Enjoy life. Mm.